0: Hello, this is Melissa Hale Spencer, the editor of the Altamont Enterprise, and delighted to have for our podcast today, Brian Barr. And we have, our readers will be familiar with Brian because every year at this time, and this week is no exception, um, we have a story on a young man or a young woman that our readers, if it weren't for Brian, would not know about, and maybe other people wouldn't either. And this week uh, we featured Giovanni Palmer, a young man who had grown a lot through Equinox in Albany and now has been hired as a youth leader there. And the reason we know his story, and you do too, is because of Brian. So I'm hoping you will start by filling us in on the ceremony It took place yesterday. Just tell us what happened yesterday.
1: Oh, I'm more than delighted to do that. And uh, thanks for giving me an opportunity to. Uh, Yesterday was a a tremendously uh, exciting and important day uh, for us at the Rotary Club of Albany because uh, this was our 34th year. Uh, of doing this, and why why it's so important is uh, uh, the Rotary Club 34 years ago decided that uh, our our youth committee would uh, would would decide that uh, how we would use our energies was to look for collaborating. With the child care agencies in the city of Albany, that were taking care of the foster care children, uh, in in a way that no other organization uh, in the city was doing. And for for example, in the past, uh, and it still goes on today, uh, and deservedly so, we're so fortunate that around graduation time. <clears throat> you have a situation where uh, we're blessed with uh, young people who have incredible talents uh, academically athletically etc and and people and organizations are falling all over themselves to to honor these young people uh, with scholarships and with uh, all kinds of uh, uh, graces to uh, to acknowledge their, their accomplishments. But in the, in the midst of this, uh, Melissa, we have a, a situation where there are children in foster care agencies such as LaSalle and St. Anne's and Community Maternity Services and St. Catherine's and Equinox. Um, in in Parsons, uh, community maternity services, that every day uh, are, are just gutting it out, and they're doing the job, but the community isn't aware that these youngsters uh, have been taken from their homes, uh, oftentimes no no fault of their own, from their community schools, from their neighborhoods from their friends, from all the things they're familiar with, and, and they're asked to, to live in foster care, and they're expected to succeed in school. They're expected to do the, the ordinary things, and here they have all these other major adjustments to, to make. And, and they do. Uh, and not only do they do it, uh, they do it with with an awful lot of resilience and persistence, and they, they do it quite well. So Rotary decided uh, a lot of these young people either don't know about community civic organizations or they're indifferent to them. And we wanted to turn that around, and we wanted to turn it around on its head. So we said, we, a civic organization, Rotary, we have a good name, a good name in the community, and we're going to take that good name, and we're going to see if we can develop a partnership with these six child care agencies. And what we're going to say is, look, give us a, let, let's give this a try. Let's see if we say to you, look, you set up your own nomination process. Send us one of your students, and we're going to have a luncheon, a luncheon of affirmation, where we ask you to send a student, have the student send parent, guardian, favored teacher, whatever. But we'll provide luncheon for the youth, for uh, five, uh, six uh, people from that agency. Lunch is on us. Uh, we're going to see about having some dignitaries there. We're going to see about uh, providing some, some gifts, some certificates, maybe some proclamations from some uh, dignitaries in the community, whatever. But we're going to make this a celebration of, of affirmation, saying to these kids, look, you matter, you're important, the community is aware of your presence. And we're going to make this a, a, a day that this young person isn't going to forget. So we did it the first year. And this is the 34th year.
0: (laughs) This is the 34th year.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it works. And it's the only program in the world. It's the only program in the world. A couple years ago, Rotary International, we have a million subscribers to Rotary International throughout the world, uh, in our international section. Uh, Rotary International wrote it up as the Albany Rotary Club reaches out to young people in the foster care system. And we made them aware that our club in Rotary is doing something of this sort. Uh, I hope to have a regular article. A woman by the name of Susan Morse, she's one of our members, great writer. Uh, She's written an article on on this program beautiful article and i hope to have that written in the in the, in the whole Rotary International Magazine but anyway I, I mean I, I, I digress and you have to excuse me for that <laughs> well, uh, no,
0: there were all questions <laughs> you answered I had this list well, of I questions did. you answered the whole background <laughs> yeah. and, but I, I went through and looked at years of articles we've written and they stay with you I looked up one Abdul Karim who was chosen by one of these agencies yeah. the LaSalle School and he said to me at the time this award means a lot to me he had grown up in Bangladesh, in brutal poverty, had come to this country right around the time of 9-11 and suffered really very bad prejudice. And he was saying how much this meant to him. And he said, I was very shocked at first. I felt I didn't deserve it, that I didn't show enough perseverance. And it just, you could just... Over the years and talking to these kids and what that award meant to them, you can just almost feel a transformation. You know, feeling like they didn't deserve it and thinking about it, going to the luncheon. So to circle back to my first question, tell us about what happened at the luncheon yesterday.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I I mean, I'm still... And I thank you so much uh, for, for for doing the, the article on Giovanni. Uh, I, I spoke to him yesterday, and he was so excited that Sean uh, had the interview with him and and, and did the article. Uh, I, I, as I mentioned to you, I'm so thrilled I haven't read it myself because I, I just am saving, I'm savoring, <laughs> the, I'm savoring my time with the article, uh, and I will read it, and I, I'll pour over every word. Well, I haven't. I haven't allowed myself the pleasure of reading it yet. So
0: you had some speakers yesterday? <laughs> yeah, we
1: did. We did. Yeah, yeah, I did. So we did. So anyway, uh, we did have this uh, this special occasion yesterday, and, and it was so much fun. Uh, it was so much the, the kids had such a great time. Uh, so anyway, yesterday uh, we had it. We had it at the Zaloga American Legion Club, and we had all six of our young people there, and they were all it up the way uh, they felt comfortable, and uh, their agency people were with them, and uh, uh, a couple of moms were there, and uh, the kids were all excited. Everybody, the staff were just beside themselves because they take such pride that their, their kids have come such a long distance, you know. I, I mean, in terms of emotional uh, progress and academic progress, so, so it's a
0: recognition the, for them as oh, well, and oh that's a God. group of people that probably doesn't get a lot of recognition. Oh, Melissa, either.
1: Thanks so much for bringing that up, because uh, that was the, the dual, uh, dual uh, uh, purpose of this, was recognition of the young people, but also the collaboration, the partnership was with the agency. Because what a lot of people don't recognize in the community is the importance of the staff that work with this population. Uh, our kids aren't easy. Our kids aren't easy. They come to us with a multiplicity of issues. And uh, they're not getting easier. Regrettably, they're not getting easier. By the time a youngster enters the foster care system, there's a real complex of issues, and they really need skilled uh, professional assistance. And uh, it's a real challenge uh, to, to work with them and provide that that support. Uh, it, it it comes with a, a really uh, a heavy cost in in all all respects. So. The staff to see the young people progress and improve uh, just brings such a sense of satisfaction to them, and it, and it's hard for uh, in, in this 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 society it's hard for them to get that kind of feedback. So a program like this uh, ignites them. With the sense of satisfaction that regrettably they don't receive enough. Mm-hmm. So, w- one of the things that uh, that I'm really passionate about, and uh, I d- and do workshops on this, and whenever I can, I try to speak to to the issue is workplace morale, and uh, it, it's programs like this and in workshops that I do on attitude and things of that nature, uh, I address that that very issue. But uh, yeah, so they're really excited. So uh, when the the young people, uh, male and female, were there, uh, I, I have them. We, we do a little procession. We walk in and we go by the head table. So who was there was our MC was Alyssa Caraprez, and she's uh, from WRGB Channel Six News. She's the weather. Person. Mm -hmm. Early morning, she comes from Oregon. She was the meteorologist of the year out there. She's a New Jersey girl. She was fantastic. She did a beautiful job emceeing. And then we had uh, Mayor Kathy Sheehan. Uh, The mayor loves this program. And what she said, uh, Melissa, so, so on target. She said, you know, I'm in Albany all the time and I'm, I walk the streets of Albany looking at things and being aware. She said one of the things I really didn't have a full appreciation for was these young people, uh, they, they do indeed, uh, as Brian's mentioned, they carry a burden, a special uh, burden uh, that so many others going to school uh, don't have to, don't have to uh, carry with them. And she said, I, "I'm really, I've been sensitized to it, mm-hmm. and I really recognize that." So she made a wonderful uh, greeting to the young people. And then uh, we, we had Ruth Pelham from the, the Music Mobile. Oh, yeah, she's and, great. Oh, isn't she, though? And she's delightful. So she went around, she talked to all six of the kids, and she got a little tidbit on them, and then she wove it into her own composition. And she got us all singing and everything. And, <laughs> oh, that's and she great. related to the kid, and the kids love her, and you know, everybody loves Ruth. So we had a lot of fun with, with her. And then... Um, uh, and then uh, uh, our, our MC, uh she introduced uh, D.A. Soares, and, and David came to the mic, and he had a wonderful message for the kids. And uh, he, he, when we did our little procession, they met every one of the persons at the head table, all the kids. And, and David is so good with personal rapport, but uh, the D.A. then had a message for everybody in the crowd, and then he introduced uh, Bishop Emeritus Howard Hubbard. And Bishop Hubbard has had something to do with every one of those child care agencies. And in only his inimitable style, uh, he, he delivered real profound words and he spoke to the culture that is really eroding uh, people's closeness with one another and community. And he reminded us that the isolation, aloneness, is what's uh, uh, rotting out the core of our ability to, as a community, uh, be together and care for each other. It's a
0: lot of those institutions, like the Catholic Church and even civic organizations, mm -hmm. their membership is falling. That is,
1: uh, yes. uh, And he spoke to that. Yeah. Yeah, and he spoke to it. So he had a message for all of us that were together, assembled, and it was it was beautiful. And then after that, um, after that, Alyssa uh, called us together, and the representatives from each agency came up and they told us a little bit, a thumbnail sketch of each of the kids. Nice, and then the kids came forward, and uh, with real glee, they accepted the beautiful certificates we had and some of the gifts that we had for them, and they were given an opportunity to say something if they wanted
0: very nice, very nice well, so just if you could go back to the beginning with your life not not just this program, but I know you 've had a long career in social work, and you were once the associate commissioner of the state 's office of yes. children. And family services. Just start at the beginning. What, like, where did you grow up, and how did you get instilled in you this sense of community service?
1: Oh, well, I don't know. Uh,
0: where, where were you raised? Uh,
1: well, I, I'm an Albanian. Yeah. Uh, I'm an Albanian, and uh, I, I think uh, I don't know. Was my mother said I, I was born a social worker.
0: Uh, <laughs> well i guess a mother ought to know yeah. so even when you were a kid you were trying to help other people and,
1: and... and their biggest fear was uh i was going to give myself away uh because uh when they put me in the playpen and uh, uh i was born well i wasn't born but we lived early ages on morris street and uh they put me in the playpen and People would walk by and I was the one that would be in the playpen and be reaching out to everybody.
0: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) that's a great story. I was
1: happy to go with anybody. To
0: make the connection. (laughs) Just
1: a a happy little guy and was
0: uh, glad
1: to go. (laughs)
0: What about your schooling? You went to the public schools in Albany? No, went I went to VI. To Vincent
1: VI kid. Yeah. yeah. I was a VI kid and then I went to CBA. Uh huh. Yeah, and I, uh the Christian Brothers uh, Academy. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. I went to Christian Brothers Academy, and uh, so
0: did the Catholicism play a big part in your sense of service? Did that was that oh, a I'm part of sure, yeah, sure.
1: That's inculcated in my uh, my my bloodstream. Sure, absolutely. And then uh, I went to St. Michael's College up in Winooski, Vermont. Oh, beautiful. That's by the Edmonites, uh, a a great service uh, uh, religious order in in uh, in Alabama. Uh, And then uh, I uh, did my master's work in social work over in Boston College, the Jesuits. Mm -hmm. So uh, heavily influenced. And then uh, uh, I... uh, uh, came back and took my first job in social work with Catholic charities. And then I uh, received a uh, uh, apprenticeship scholarship with the uh, State Department of Social Services. And I, th- that's when I went to Boston College. And then uh, I came back and uh, worked for the state for a couple of years. And then I went to uh, LaSalle School. And I was there for 30 years. And
0: tell us about your role there.
1: As the director of clinical services, and I was head of the mental health clinic, the uh, uh, psychiatric, psychological, social work services, Mm -hmm. and uh, built the clinical team uh, to the point we were uh, recognized as one of the most outstanding in the nation uh, for its uh, quality and uh, uh, its... uh, uh, durability in terms of uh, being able to have a, uh, uh, a a quality staff that had endurance in uh, uh, quality as far as uh, uh, people that had credentials and longevity, because the problem with uh, uh, the mental health field was people turnover. jumping yeah. from place to place the turnover mm. lacking
0: consistency yeah
1: but we were noted for a, a clinic that when people worked there and people uh were of good caliber they stayed
0: how did you get them to stay because well, i would imagine it's a career that has a lot of burnout in yeah it. yeah just such stresses on you
1: yeah uh one of the things i was very fortunate uh Melissa, very very fortunate. Uh, I worked with the Christian Brothers. The Christian Brothers have a great uh, a great mission statement, a great philosophy, uh, and they create a great milieu for for their staff. Um, and I was fortunate in terms of the people uh, that I was able to. Uh, with the people that I I was working with, bring in.
0: To recruit for the job. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
1: individuals that bought in to what we were about. A great believer in relationship. My sense was we worked with adolescents. And my belief was uh, that when all was said and done, because I I lived through all the phases of... uh, of, uh, the, the models, the, the Freudian, the, the post Freudian, and what have you, all the different uh, modes of uh, looking at treatment, was when push comes to shove, it's always relationship.
0: What's Isn't that interesting? To, so, regardless of the particular model, you feel the bottom line is relating to the child absolutely. that you're working with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You can do anything. You can, turn them on their head, flip them upside down, what have you. It's your relationship with that youngster built on your trust, which flows through your care for them, mm-hmm. your interest in them, uh, your, your belief in them as a person, and your, uh, your your capacity to see their worth and your desire to see them do well and your persistence in seeing that message through in your interpersonal relationship with them. And as long as that flows, and that's sincere and it's genuine, there's going to be progress. So whether your, your style is confrontative, whether it's passive, whether it's uh, going around, whether it's going through, regardless, if it's relational, you're going to be successful, and that was that was our approach, uh, and and we were enormously successful, enormously successful, and our, our kids did did very well, uh, but to, to get to your question in terms of how how were we able to retain quality staff, uh, I think. The people bought into that. They believed in it, and uh, they wanted to be a part of it. They wanted to stay with that because they saw in other places there were these turnovers, mm-hmm. and uh, people didn't treat the staff that way. So we didn't just treat our, 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 our clientele that way. We treated one another that way. Our belief was that's how you treat people.
0: And you were sort of the linchpin because you were there for years and years and had yes. a belief in that whole approach yeah. and philosophy.
1: Yeah. And it got to the point, for example, and it, I don't mean this in, in a harsh manner, but uh, people, when, when they did decide to leave, the worst thing in the world, I got to go tell him.
0: I go tell Brian <laughs> that I'm going to leave,
1: that I'm, <laughs> I'm getting married, and I'm moving to California. <laughs>
0: You go tell him for me. <laughs> so they had. This I'm not going to go tell. Him. Tremendous sense of allegiance and loyalty yeah. to you. Oh my! Oh my! Yeah. Would there be anything wrong if I send a proxy to him <laughs> while I'm out in California? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, you know, because I knew I cared so much about them in their contribution mm-hmm. to the uh, to the organization yeah. Yeah. Uh, and how important they were, but what I was trying to I was meaning to say to you, Melissa, was in terms of my my attitude my philosophy towards suicide, I, I want to get to suicide was yeah um, that was
0: another topic just yeah. to let listeners know that I had asked Brian if we could address because I know for both of us it's very near to our hearts, so yeah, and I, and I will ahead. get
1: I will get right there, uh, but this time with with, with the adolescence thing. I wanted to say to you about adolescence was my approach to adolescence was uh, working at LaSalle with adolescence uh, was this is not a, a phase where you work with adolescents for a couple of years and then you've completed your. Your, 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 your hitch or your lesson on adolescence adolescence is a lifetime work uh, so if you work there for 20 years, if you work there for 30 years if you work there for 40 years uh, it, it's, it's a whole life's work because mm-hmm. uh, some people approached it, well I can work there for, uh, for a year I can work there for a couple of years and I know all about adolescence and my point was to anybody who worked there, uh, you've just embarked upon a life's work. Mm-hmm. Adolescence doesn't. Start and end with studying it for a couple of years, and now you've finished with adolescence and you can move on to something else, family therapy or uh, marital therapy well, or something like that. Well, it's such an like important
0: that. time in any person's life. It's really when Absolutely. you coalesce as a personality. So I can imagine it could be a lifetime work trying Absolutely. to sort that out.
1: But, but what I wanted to tell you, my day about suicide? Yeah. Is that okay to?
0: Yeah, to, sure. To switch, yeah. Uh,
1: because it fits in with the adolescent thing. What I wanted to say about, about that was, uh, interestingly, uh, my 30 years as the uh, chief of the clinic, uh, we never had a suicide. And uh, we had uh, many youngsters who were uh, suicide-prone uh, Uh, we had uh, many youngsters that had to make the call in terms of uh, uh, would we bring them over to the uh, uh, emergency room and things of that nature and uh, that we had to uh, medicate and things of that nature and uh yeah you know, I mean tough work Some very well yeah troubled, you're dealing uh,
0: with kids that have troubled troubles to begin with is why they're there, and that is a remarkable record thirty years yeah, without suicide
1: yeah i'm very very proud of that uh although i never never bragged about it uh, mm-hmm. because uh it's not something to brag about because uh, as I knew then, and I know even more now after losing my own my own son to suicide was uh, it's nothing, nothing to brag about, and uh, nothing one can really take, uh, take pleasure in because there are factors we still don't know uh, at play in terms of suicide. But that was one of the hardest things, Melissa, in terms of uh, being a professional, being a mental health professional, uh, being in charge of a psychiatric clinic. That was a bitter pill to swallow when we lost our son Kevin to suicide was, uh, holy mackerel, uh, I'm as close to being on the inside of this as anyone. Uh, how the heck could this happen to my own son? Mm-hmm. It, it, it was a, a very bitter, bitter pill. Uh, I had a tough time. Well, uh, digesting it Anyone would it in have a addition, tough
0: time with that But you have an added layer Yeah, in uh, addition
1: to all the other Well,
0: uh, so tell us how yes, that unfolded And how but, uh, you've managed to work through that And kind of Because you give seminars and talks yeah. To help other people Just If you could kind of walk us through How that happened And how you came out the other side
1: Well, I don't know as I ever came out the other side uh, but uh, I know what you're. I know what you're getting at. Uh, uh, it. Uh, it. Uh, it uh, it's something that uh, uh, occurred. Uh, I learned an enormous amount about the subject um and uh, uh I'd be forever grateful uh to Kevin uh our son that, that we lost he was 18 uh for all that he he gave us uh he was a terrific terrific kid and uh you know, those of us who have lost loved ones to suicide, we all uh, have that reflection, I think, with our loved ones. And uh, uh, that's, uh, uh, that's what they, they leave with us. Even when we're at our realistic uh, assessments of them, we, we can see the difficulties and, and the, the personal uh, uh, problems and all we still uh we can see through in in the love and the the great uh qualities that they possess but kevin uh uh if you have time for this uh, sure I, i'll share with you uh he was the youngest of three and um was uh for the most part uh, uh his upbringing was pretty 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 usual and uh he he was, however, a very uh, very sensitive boy. Um, He's kind of like an empath. He felt family pain uh, more than anybody else in the family. He was just very very sensitive and uh, in tune with what was going on and. Uh, he he would uh, he would feel things and it was a great quality he was very sensitive uh i always thought he'd be a great social worker he'd be the, he'd be the best of us <laughs> he'd be the best of us uh if he chose that path uh and that's how he was he didn't have lots of lots of friends but uh, the the couple that he had i mean he was just uh he was a great friend he was a great listener and uh yeah. His friends would uh, talk to him and share with him. And, I mean, it was just, it was just fantastic. i was so proud of his, uh, his loyalty to his friends. And, and one thing that uh, uh, his, his mother always uh, remarked on uh, when he was a, a little guy, uh, one of his friends, he, he lost, he moved away. His name was Scott, and uh, his family moved away and how upset Kevin was when his his boyfriend moved away and that really really rocked him separation mm-hmm. took took a lot out of him and uh, uh that's that's the way he was uh his two other brothers are very nice kids and very uh sensitive themselves in their own way but uh, they would have rolled on. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. He really felt <laughs> things deeply. Yeah, he felt yeah. things deeply. So, uh, anyway, uh, uh, things, things were going. And then uh, uh, he was, I think he was like in his uh, uh, 10th, 11th grade, if I'm not mistaken. That's, this that's is a Gilderland High, High Gilderland High School. Gilderland High School, yeah. Melissa. And I was uh, down at work, sitting in my office, and the phone rang. And it was the school, and they called me and they said, "Mr. Barr, you have to come up to school right away. Uh, your son uh, is in the principal's office, the vice principal's office, and he's been busted for uh, for uh, smoking pot." And I said, "Okay." You know, there was no discussion, just that was the announcement, and I had to get up there right away. So I said, okay. So I hung up the phone and uh, headed out of my office and drove up uh, Washington Ave Extension. And I remember this like it was yesterday, you know, I was, uh, two emotions were colliding. Uh, and the one was, uh, uh, you know, I, I was furious, uh, mad, you know, smoking pot. Particularly at that time, was a a real no no. He was really angry, and then he was wrong about it. He was busted. I didn't know that he was doing that. And then the other was, Melissa, was a sense of relief because for a while prior to this, things had changed with him. He uh, had gotten moody. Uh, we knew something was wrong with him. He wasn't communicating with us. So we knew something was wrong. Mm-hmm. And we had reached out to him. We had done all kinds of different things within the house, trying to uh, draw him out and what have you. And I couldn't get to him, so I, my mother... my uh, wife couldn't get to him, uh, in, et cetera. So there was kind of relief that, oh, boy, uh, the pus has finally come out, and uh, we're going to get somewhere, and now we can be of help to our son. Mm-hmm. You know, we can get in there, and we can uh, find a, get an action plan and what have you. So there were those two colliding emotions, you know. Mad and at the same time relieved because now maybe uh, we can Make get inmates. at it. Yeah. get at it. So anyway, I got up there and, uh, uh, and sure enough, they uh, uh, he, he reeked of reeked of marijuana, and uh, uh, I said to him, "Kev, uh, what what's going on?" Uh, and he didn't want to talk, and uh, the school didn't want to tell me much of anything, and uh, I said, "Well, I know something's going on here," so. Um, School people left the room and I talked to him alone. And I said, Kev, what, what is it? And he said, Well, Dad, he said, uh, uh, I gotten. I, I was sitting in school and uh, there's this girl sitting in front of me and uh, she's really kind of kind of cute and I was interested in her. And he said, I just stupid, stupid, stupid. I, I don't even want to talk about it. I said, Well, come on share it with me. And so well, I always have a good relationship with, with Kevin. We are very, very close. And uh, he was sort of a, a distant with, with my wife uh, because uh, that's sort of just the way it was. When he was a little guy, he had a little speech she was slow in his speech, and she had to bring him to the speech t- teacher, and mm-hmm. so she had to do things that are tough for any parent to do. But she that fell on her, so they had a little little tension thing there, and uh, I happen to have a easier time relationship with him. So anyway, so he said, uh, yeah, he said, I did, well, I did stupid things, and I. Roll up, and I threw things to get her attention. And he said, "Well, I said, gee, that well, you know, that's He said, "Yeah, but the, w- the bad thing was she happened to be the girlfriend of this guy, the super jock." And he came and he told me he was going to kill me. He said, "You're really going to mess me up, Dad." And he said, "Oh, gee," he said, "I'm really." Essentially, said he was scared. And I said, Oh, I said, well, you know, have you said anything? He said, No. I said, Well, let me, let's talk to. It. So I talked to uh, the assistant principal came in. And I said, Look, I said, my, my son tells me that he's really scared this episode happened. And he said, Oh, I said, I'll look into it. Well, he was gone for, I don't know, five minutes, and he came back. He said, There's nothing to this. He said, nothing to it, don't, don't worry about it, and your son suspended for, I don't know, suspended him for a week. So, anyway, I brought him home, and my wife was home waiting for us, and we sat on the couch. And it wasn't the worst thing. In fact, in many ways, that relief that I felt mm-hmm. uh, was justified because it was the first time in a long time he talked to us. He was open mm-hmm. and he told us stuff. Uh, and we had tried to get him to agree to go to somebody, a counselor. Mm-hmm. Talk about what this was bottled up in him. And while he wouldn't do that, he did agree to go to a psychologist for an assessment at least so that was positive not for counseling and not for any more than one session but at least it was something it was a good session so got him to do that and uh, and again he told us about stuff that he hadn't told us about before so we were one step to the good got him to go to a psychologist uh, he came out of there and he said dad he said, "Never again." He said, "Look, you got what you wanted. I went, okay?" I said, "Yeah, thank you for doing that." Uh, he said, "But never again will I go." Well, he wasn't getting. You know, he was he was ticked, uh, but at least he went. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, he did that, and then uh, and then then he sort of went. Back in to the nutshell, and what I, I've said, Melissa, when I when I talk to, to the kids, and I and talk to different uh, folks, and I've developed into my 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 uh, my talks is uh, this is a this is a fragile, vulnerable time, that period of suspension, expulsion, whatever you want to call it, but from the point of leaving school. To coming home or wherever a a youngster goes. The schools, you know, they don't like to admit it, but they experience a sense of relief, real relief, because uh, these young people, uh, they're a problem, you know, and there's no shame in admitting it. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're a problem, they're causing a lot of tension, a lot of friction, uh, a lot of uptightness. And, And when you can Discharge them you relieve a lot of that and there's a you know, I mean I come from that world mm-hmm. uh, so uh, th- there really is and again there's no shame in that that's a, a human emotion however uh, what happens is when, when the youngster returns to goes to, to the family and what have you and there's no conduit of of anything. Uh, he or she is there in that in that nest, and those folks have now a ticking so time tension, bomb. Yeah, a real ticking time bomb. And for a, for a youngster, uh, when you think about it, and of course you, you do. You, you're aware of these things but for for a parent that's under siege and is dealing with all this uh, for the child uh, their life has revolved around school which is a, a mental phenomena of everything is I get up because of school I am thinking about what am I going to wear uh, Will I have anything to eat before I go? Uh, who am I going to meet or who will I avoid meeting? How will I get there? Uh, will I get on the bus? If I get on the bus, who will I sit with? Who won't I sit with? Uh, who who will I see? Who will I avoid? Uh, who this, who that, what, who, who? Will I walk? Will I get in a car? Will I do this? So everything is functioning around that phenomena. A thousand and one things. When I get to the door, will I walk in this entrance, that entrance? Who will I stand next to? Uh, How will I smell? How won't I smell? Uh, All those kid things. Mm -hmm. The whole phenomenon is based upon the school. It provides a structure. A structure. Mm -hmm. When I walk down the hall, will I walk close to the wall in the middle of the hall? Who will I see? Will I keep my eyes down, up, up? A whole structure. Their whole world Mm -hmm. revolves around that. Now you pull that out, right? You pull that out of their life, and then they're just there. Holy mackerel. I mean, whoo. Holy mackerel! Uh, so, I, I mean, I mean, they're not even aware of it. What's just happened? Mm-hmm. So, you've got a monumental hole, uh, and that is that is that is huge. That is huge. So, uh, that that certainly was a situation with, with 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 my son. Uh, the, after the visit with the psychologist, uh, in consultation with him, we made the decision. He, he uh, advised that Kevin, his, his, his ego, uh, his self-esteem, was being beaten up in school. Was being beaten up. And that he recommended that an adult education course, something of that sort, sort would be preferable at this point. We agreed, Uh, and that's the course we took. Uh, So we tried that, that did not work, Uh, we tried work, some kind of work, Uh, that didn't work. He started to get increasingly paranoid, increasingly withdrawn, isolated from what few friends he had, uh, until one day he came to me. And he said, Dad, would it be okay if I have my friend stay over? Well, we sort of celebrated with with a few joy because we hadn't heard that in quite some time. Mm -hmm. So, of course, we said, yes, that would be wonderful. So his friend uh, came, stayed over downstairs a nice area, and... uh, um, you, you know, uh, as a, uh, a parent, um, at a certain hour in the evening, when something doesn't feel right in your home, mm-hmm. you just have that sense, right? That, that the antennae goes up. Well, it went up, and I went downstairs to check. And uh, there his friend was asleep, and Kevin wasn't there. So I looked around the house couldn't find him went down and woke his friend and I said hey uh, where's uh, where's Kevin he said well I don't know Mr. Barr he said uh, we were watching the movie and we fell asleep and I don't know where he is uh, I said oh so I uh, went upstairs and I uh, looked again I couldn't find him and I looked out over the carport it just had one car and it was gone and he Melissa is not the type to uh, he wasn't an actor-outer. Um, that, uh, that wasn't his profile. Uh, so the, the car was gone, and I uh, had absolutely no idea where you would go with it. And uh, uh, So you just had to wait? Just, you know, the, you know the parent thing. You wait. And uh, wait. So I waited till 4 o'clock in the morning when the phone rang, And Barbara and I uh, uh, we reached and we answered the phone and it was the uh, uh, it was the police and they said uh, Mr. Barr uh, your son is down at uh, St. Peter's and uh, he's uh, uh, going to be Uh, stitched and uh, he was uh, picked up uh, by the police going through the Del Mar corners, you know the four corners in Del Mar Mm -hmm. where the police hang out it's a great catch to get people going through there and uh, they said uh, he was uh, picked up not because he was going too fast he was going too slow and the reason he was going too slow was he had Cut himself and he'd lost blood. And he was uh, logging along, and that's where they spotted him and wisely uh, followed him and pulled him over. And they saw he was bleeding, they brought him. So we uh, obviously said, We'll we'll be right there. So we rushed out of the house and rushed to get in the car. Well, it was gone. (laughs) We stood in the driveway. No her fast. <laughs> uh, I can chuckle now because it was so long ago. Uh, so anyway, we came back in the house and called the cab, and we got down there as quick as we could. Uh, and this is the part that uh, I think uh, I learned so much from from Kevin, and I think it's been so helpful, Melissa, to uh, to kids and not just kids, but to uh, the suicide field. And I, I I get concerned when sometimes uh, people don't hear it, and other times they hear it, and they hear it well. And, uh, and some, I've gotten feedback that it's been more helpful to some people than anything they've heard. But anyway, when I got down there uh, with my wife, and we talked to people he was in one of the trauma rooms on on the stretcher and they let me go in and uh, he was laying there and uh, they were getting ready to stitch his wrist what he had done uh, was he uh, he got in the car uh, and he drove out to thatcher park and he got out there with the intention of uh, because he had been out there, I guess a week earlier or something, with one of his friends. But he had been out there, and his intention was to drive off the cliff and take his life. But when he got out there, apparently the park rangers had put a barrier up. So he uh, uh, he decided, well, I can't I can't just drive off the cliff. So what I'm going to do is. Uh, he, he got out of the car and he found a Coke bottle and he smashed it on the barrier and he slashed one wrist and then he slashed the other. And he watched himself bleed, but he didn't die. So he didn't die, and then he said, well, I guess I'll go home and uh, I'll figure something out. So he get back in the car, and that's when he, you know, he came down Thatcher Park Hill. And,
0: and got stopped by the yeah, police.
1: Yeah, and stopped by the police. So when I went in to the, the trauma uh, room, and he was on the table, uh, I held his hand, Melissa, and he looked up at me. And, and this just uh, this chills me to the day. And I held his hand. And he looked up at me, and he said, Dad, I just want to die. I, I couldn't believe those words were coming out of my son's mouth. I, I, I just couldn't believe. How could... How could I, you know, my my own son, he just wanted to die, but he was so, he was in such pain, also. he hurt so, I mean, he wasn't kidding, I, he was not kidding me, he hurt so from his very toes, he really wanted to die, I mean, he really, really wanted to die, and and I understood totally, I understood totally. And and that's how great his pain was. So, you know, when people say, uh, they, they say, oh, this person was a coward or this person was a hero, or this person was that, or, or I heard about once someone was talking about uh, someone, uh, a coach that's uh, taking us to life and how we quit. You know, they don't understand that this, this suicide it's something nobody would wish for this. Listen, you know, I, I spoke with uh, this young woman. I, I did a program with her once, and she was so mad at her father, Melissa. She'd been mad at him for years, for years, because he, he died from suicide. And, and she said to me, she said, I just, I, I can't forgive him. He left... He left four of us behind, and my mother had to raise us. He's such a mean sob. And I said, you know, tell tell me a little bit about him before this. And she went on. She told me what she knew of him, what kind of a person he was, what kind of work he did. And I said, you know, from from what you're telling me about about him, is he the kind of person? You know, don't tell me about the after, but tell me what what he was, what kind of person he was. Said, Is he the kind of person that would do this to somebody? Was I mean, that the kind of person he was? And she said, "No, I don't know." I said, well, "Well, do you think that's that's what he would do then? That that's the kind of person that would leave?" You and your brothers and sisters like that and, and his wife that he loved so much That he married her and had children
0: with I said, well, I never thought of it that way I said, well, think of it that way So your point is that the person is in just such great pain yeah. That it's, it's nothing about anyone else Or hurting anyone else It's about just trying to end the pain That's what suicide is
1: That's what suicide is that it's such excruciating pain that a person... That's what suicide is. The pain is so excruciating that the person... It's not a matter of choice. That's what suicide is. That's the disease of suicide. That's that's suicide, you know? And... (sighs) All those years she wasted, you know, hating him and despising how he left the family and what kind of shape. But he wasn't the kind of person as she analyzed his life that would do that to his family. You know? This was a decent human being. But the ravage of that disease, you know, but we wouldn't we wouldn't call him out if it were brain cancer you know we wouldn't think to call him out from dying from brain cancer and call him all these things but we don't hesitate with suicide so yes I mean you sum it up very nicely you're right so that's that's my point and uh, you know that's what I have tried to to make uh, relevant when I when I talk with uh, with people that suicide's different, and it, it and it's different than depression. It's another level that uh, needs a distinction, because lots of us have depression. You know, uh, God forbid anybody have depression. It's a horrible condition.
0: I mean, it's, it's horrible. And There are more and more people that are suffering from it. If you look at the numbers, it's yeah, astounding I mean, it's, how it's increased. It, it's terrible.
1: <clears throat> uh, well, fortunately, thank God, one can have depression and, and live. Suicide's fatal. It is a condition that's fatal. It's terminal. You have suicide. You die from suicide. You know? Uh, so... Uh, and what and, you know what concerns me is uh, Melissa and, I, and I've written to the uh, to the people and, and the federal government and the state people and i uh, the state mental health people I, I've taken them to, to task on this uh, not in a hostile manner but uh, when we put all our literature out, talk about suicide as preventable, uh, how to prevent suicide and all, uh, I say to him, please don't put it out that way. Put out, we may prevent suicide. May prevent suicide. We don't know that we can prevent suicide.
0: Um, I see. By, the, by that wording, you think it's putting guilt on, on people oh, that I have definitely no, do. no recourse. I understand. Yeah, I, I understand. definitely do. I mean, I've been to hundreds of
1: workshops, uh, and I do workshops. I never tell people that, I'm, you come to my workshop, and I'm going to tell you how to prevent suicide. I'm not going to tell anybody how to prevent suicide. First of all, we don't know what causes suicide. Nobody knows what causes suicide. I mean, nobody knows what causes suicide. I can tell you what what are suggested is some of the, the possible symptoms, mm-hmm. you know, depression, uh, suicide in your family, mental, uh, illness. mental illness. But how many of us have mental illness? I mean, holy mackerel, you go up and down this block. You've got a whole bunch of us. Right here, you know, we might have, a couple of us have mental illness. Nothing wrong with that. Alcoholism, probably a couple of us around here, we have alcoholism. You know? So, big deal. Uh, we, we work with it, we deal with it. doesn't mean that we're going to uh, die from suicide. Uh, but uh, that that's the way it is. Uh, But suicide's different. There will be some of us that that will die from suicide. Uh, That is yet to be teased out. So uh, anybody that comes around and says, come to my workshop and you're going to walk out of here and you won't suicide. I mean, it's not fair. So, I mean, it's not fair to to people to uh, think you keep doing this and there'll never be a suicide in your life your family's life. Not fair. And it leaves behind people thinking, geez, if I had gone to one more workshop, I wouldn't have lost Sue. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have lost Franco.
0: So one of your goals is to not just lift the stigma of suicide, but to lift the blame or the guilt that often goes along with it. absolutely.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one of the things is... uh, uh, I, I think we've gotten better at it, but uh, it used to be. Uh, how many times uh, people would say, uh, uh, um, uh, like at the, at the casket or at, at the service, uh, uh, <clears throat> are you angry at them? You, you, you really you must be angry at them. Uh, you, you, you get that. Uh, well if you, you lost your loved one to, to cancer to pneumonia are you angry at them? I mean that's a heck of a thing. Uh, the person was sick. You know? I hear you were you yes. angry at them for yeah. They were sick. They suffered. My God, you know, I mean, it was through hell. It went through hell. I mean, you heard me tell you about my son. And why is on a trauma bed? Say, so, yeah, I just want to die. You know, I am going to be mad at him? Jeez. I mean, give him a break. I, I mean, and then the other, you know, is uh, the thing about uh, uh, the guilt that you just uh, raised so, so appropriately when people say uh, you know uh, how are you dealing with the guilt why should I be dealing with guilt you shouldn't you know, why should I be dealing with guilt I mean well, listen, when I saw the beautiful care my wife took of Kevin my uh, God I, I mean he was progressing in his mental illness I mean he ultimately was diagnosed with schizophrenia but the beautiful care she took of him uh, she absorbed uh, his, his growing hostility, his growing paranoia uh, it, it, it was amazing you know, I mean she would always could have She, thank God you were there to contain him and I had you to fall back on and all that you know, that's very nice but she, the front lines she absorbed all this stuff you know mm. Uh And then somebody to say, how are you handling the guilt? What guilt? Uh, Why would anybody feel guilty? But people, and and not to to blame anybody because it's coming from a good place and they're just trying to be solicitous. Uh, And it's just because the information's not out there. You know, and uh, better they say that than than turn their back on you, But uh, because at one time, I mean, you couldn't even get buried in hallowed ground, remember?
0: Oh, I do, and I know our newspaper over 30 years, um, people used to think it was outrageous that we would even write about suicide, but things are changing and opening up, and your voice is certainly a strong one, and... Thank you, thank you for sharing that Yeah, I I went too
1: long, I'm sure, I'm sorry
0: No, um, my gosh, I just mm -hmm. uh, Thank you